Church, thank you so much for choosing to come and weather the storm and join us this morning. We are taking a a little break away from the book of Acts and we will rejoin the Apostle Paul here soon, probably in a month or so. But I thought it profitable for us to spend some time looking at this, looking at true worship from a biblical perspective, what God would have us do, how God would want to have us act, and what worship truly is in accordance to God's Word. And What if I were to tell you this morning that what we've done, what we've already shared in, the Lord's table, communion, that that was it. That from here on out, Every Sunday from this point on that Rancho Baptist Church, that we decided as leaders, you know what? We're all about the Word and that's all we're going to do. And so we're no longer going to do communion. What would your response be? Well, hopefully your response would be, well, wait a minute. I, I, I thought that communion was commanded by the Lord, that this is something that we ought to do, know that we must do. And, and of course, our answer to you would be yes. Yes, we're not going to lay aside communion. What if I were to tell you, okay, okay, communion is something that's difficult for you to do by yourself at home. I mean, you could do it. But worship, singing. Singing is something we all do in our cars. You can do it at home. So, so what if we said, you know what? We want to be all about God's Word and receiving God's Word, teaching God's Word, proclaiming God's Word. So we're going to stop singing in church. What would your response to that be? Would it be similar to the communion? I I hope so, because in God's Word over 40 times, there are imperatives, there is a command in God's Word that says you should sing. No, you must sing. Sing. So, So that is something that we can't not just stop doing. So then, what, what if I said, okay, well, okay, all those things are great. Let's lay aside God's Word then. And, and let's no longer spend time in God's Word. We will gather and we will spend some time in prayer and we will spend the rest of our time singing. What would your response to me then be? <laughs> Get a rope. Right, you'd be like, well, wait, what, what's, what, what's your job then? Aren't you supposed to be the, the, the senior pastor? Aren't you supposed to bring the Word Sunday after Sunday? And I would agree wholeheartedly. But when I say, what is worship? What does your mind immediately go to? Does your mind segment it? Segue, do you actually look at it as small little individual compartments? Of, of worship, or do you look at this service from start to finish as worship? And, and is it solely worship because we call it a worship service? Is that why this is worship? Because this is the time designated for worship, and because of the order in which we do things, well then thereby it must be worship. Well, just because I call a cat a dog doesn't mean that it is indeed a dog. And just because I say that this is worship or we deem this worship, that does not mean this is worship. Why? Because you can come and, and, and you can be involved, but you cannot be involved. 
You can come and, and, and during the time of singing, you can, right? You can even mouth the lip, your lips and, and pretend, but, but the reality is that isn't worship. And, and what is true worship? How would you define true worship? What does God's word say true worship is? That's what we're going to be looking at for the next so many weeks. Seeing what God's word says worship is and true worship according to God's word. I would like to define for you this morning what I believe is a very good, short, concise definition of worship. And you can write this in your notes if you'd like. Worship is this. It's an active response to God where we declare His worth. His worthship. Notice I said worship is an active response to God where we declare His worth. Worship is not something passive. You don't come here Sunday after Sunday and, and, and it's all being spoon-fed. It's all receive, receive, receive. There is a part of worship where we all play a part. Why? Because it's not just receiving. Worship is to be an active response to what God has done, to who God is. And If you'll turn with me to, to Revelation chapter 5. Don't, don't take my word for it. Let's see what God's Word has to say. And I believe this is a, a very good depiction of what worship looks like lived out. In vivid colors, as one day this will indeed happen. And this is a picture of what our worship service should be like as we gather together Sunday after Sunday. Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 11. As John writes this, as the Lord had revealed this to him, and then he wrote this all down. Look at this. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. Did, did you gather that? Did, did you catch what he said? He said that there were thousands upon thousands, myriads of, of myriads, and yet how are they proclaiming? They, they are doing this with a loud voice, one loud voice. They are doing this in unity. They are doing this together. And notice it's not just the angels. It's not just the living creatures, but the elders and, and many, many of them. And then what are they saying? Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. All of creation stops and they give glory and praise to who? to the Lamb of God, to our Savior, to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is worship. This is ascribing to, in this case, Jesus Christ, 
all that He is worth in all of His glory and all of His majesty and all of His wonder and all of His grace and all of His power. And I could go on and on and on, right? Because they are giving a response, a declaration to who Jesus Christ is. They are celebrating Him. And that is what we come together to do. Sunday after Sunday. To celebrate Him. To speak of Him. To sing of Him. To learn of Him. But perhaps it it would be helpful for for you all, this is so helpful for me, to think in terms of what worship is not. So if this is indeed worship, if worship is an active response to God where, where we declare His wonderful worth, then what, what isn't worship? And I would say what, what worship is not is, is first in the proclamation of God's Word, in the proclaiming and preaching of God's Word. It's not a sermon poorly prepared Poorly delivered, where, where that particular preacher spends no time in preparation in God's Word. Why? Because that kind of sermon, that kind of declaration or proclamation is, is dishonoring the Word of God. No, no, the way that we properly worship Him is in the way we honor His Word. And we do that with our words. And we do that away from this pulpit, Right? We do that in our lives. I would say another way that, that worship is not true worship is as we come and, and it is now time for, for the offering, right? And, and some, what, what, what would we do? We'd, we'd give grudgingly. Why? Because we believe, well, that's the expected thing to do. And our heart is not in it. And we're thinking about what everybody else is, is thinking and looking at us. And so, so we give grudgingly, not because we're thankful. Or, or perhaps in service, we serve only out of guilt. Why? Because we've heard time and time again, oh, the need is here and the need is here and the need is here. And, and over time, we're just serving only because of guilt. There's no heart behind it. No, that is not true worship. Worship comes from the heart. Giving comes from what? It it comes from a heart that is overflowing with thanksgiving. Why? Because of all that God has given to us. And as a result, we then give to Him. Service. Service comes not not grudgingly or or because of guilt. It It comes because we are overflowing with thankfulness for all that God has done for us, the gifts He has given us, and the people that He has used in our lives, and we want to be used by the Lord. And we want to give Him praise and glory because of it. This morning, the question I would like to answer is this. Who is worship about? And I know that question, oh, it's about God, of course. Come on, Pastor Jason, that's an easy one. You're going to spend an entire sermon talking about who, well, slow down. The follow-up question would be, who is involved in worship? Who is involved in worship? What part do you play? What part do I play? And is worship just something between you and God? Is that all that is involved? And so as you come here Sunday after Sunday, is it not so much 
a matter of who's sitting next to you or who's standing in front of you, but it is only about you and God. This is only a vertical thing. Or does it go deeper than that? Does it go horizontal? And and are we to gather for a particular purpose and for a particular reason? And what we are going to see this morning, just as we see in Revelation 5 here, that they were worshiping as one that we are to worship as one. So turn with me to, to Colossians chapter 3. As we look at this idea of worship as one. And what does God's Word say concerning our worship as a body coming together on Sundays? What, what are the different parts of worship? What should be included and how should we worship together? If indeed God's Word is calling us to worship together. For you don't want to hear my opinion on this matter. In fact, if I were to ask us all this morning, okay, so what is worship? We might get 150 different answers this morning, right? We want to know what God's answer is. We want to know what God's Word says. Okay, so this is worship. And that's what we're going to see this morning. In Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17, where the Apostle Paul writes this, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And then this is the verse that we're really going to zero in on this morning. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So what Paul is going to do in these verses, what he has done in these verses, he's going he's to give us three things. Three characteristics of our worship that must be true of our worship if our worship is indeed going to be true worship. True biblical worship in the sense of it follows God's heart for worship. But in order for us to fully grasp the significance that we are to worship as one, we need to understand the context of Colossians chapter 3. Because in a sense, we've just jumped right into to chapter 3 verse 12 without knowing anything that has gone on before. And in order to properly understand and interpret God's Word, we need to look at what goes on before, what is going to happen later. This would, this would be like just dropping in from 10,000 feet with a, a parachute, not that I've ever done skydiving or, or anything, but possibly like at night. And somehow you, we, we land and, and none of us dies, but we really don't know where we are. All we can see is right here in front of us. And at times, that that can give you the wrong perspective on what a particular passage of Scripture is teaching if all you do is look at that particular verse. 
And so we must understand verse 16, where we are going to camp out and where a whole bunch of truth is conveyed to us. We must understand the rest of the book of Colossians. So what has the Apostle Paul shared up to this point? What has been his main point? His main point has been Christ. That's where he goes to again and again and again. He is pointing to Christ. He is desiring above all things to exalt Christ. He is pointing to the fact that Christ is preeminent. He is above all. And that we as believers, you as a believer, you have Christ as your peace. You have Him as your hope. You've been made complete because of what He has accomplished. And as He keeps pointing to Christ, not only is He pointing to Christ, but He's referring it to individual believers. You, you, you. And we can see this in in chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Verse 2, set your mind on the things above. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden. Verse 4, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. And then we go on and in verse 8, but now you also put them all aside. Put what aside? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. He's now telling them, this is how you live out your Christ-likeness. This is how you are to live your life. Not the way you used to live. Verse 9, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. Do you see how he's transitioning? He's going now away from the, from the you singular, talking to just you as an individual believer. Now he's expanding. And now he wants these believers in Colossae to understand not just the way they are to relate with others, as believers one-on-one, how they are supposed to go ahead and live this new life and be renewed over and over again, but also now how they're to relate with one another in a grander context. More like the context of a local church where a whole bunch of believers are gathering together. And what does he say? He says, don't think of them anymore in terms of being Greek and Jew, slave and free, barbarian, Scythian, Why? Because we are all now one in Christ. This is significant for where He is going to go in the next verses. Why? Because we will see this. And look at verse 12. The first thing that we must understand, the first characteristic of our worship is that it must be united. We must be united in our worship. Look at as he transitions and and now we don't see the you anymore. Singular in, in verse 12. Now he's talking to a great big group. So as those who have been chosen of God. Those many. All of those who have been chosen of God. All of those who are God's children who are now saved. And how do we know that? Well, because they're holy and beloved. And then he tells them what they're to do. Put on a heart of compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And he goes on and he gets to to verse 14. And then what does he say? He says, and above all these things, not only do I want you to worship me 
and the way that you respond to one another, and the way that you are kind to one another, and the way that you are compassionate to each other, and the way that you look after one another. But I want you to be kind in a loving manner over and over and over again. Let love be the characteristic of who you are as a body. And that is where he goes from verses 12 to 14. And in all of this, what is Paul doing? He's guiding so that he can get to verse 16. So that he can tell them, okay, how is this demonstrated? How is this unity that we have in Christ, in the fact that it is supposed to be displayed in our worship, how do we live that out? Well, he's going to let us know. He's going to say, we live that out in singing. That this unity, this love, this common purpose that we share as one body leads into how we are to worship in song. And notice in this that the basis for our worship and where He's going to go in singing isn't our common style. It isn't even our common language. What we're going to see is it's what we have united in Christ. It's our common Savior. It's our common faith. It's our common hope. That, that we are a united body and as such, we are supposed to be a united body of worshipers. And so then one of the main ways that our unity is expressed is through our corporate worship and through our corporate singing. What, what would this look like? Well, well, this would look like as we gather on Sundays that everybody is singing. From the youngest to, to the oldest. That everybody's getting involved. Not because that particular genre of music is their preference. But because of this. Because we are united in worship. And this is such a wonderful way to, to broadcast. To share with everyone the unity that we have in Christ. And how do we do that? We do that through our singing which is where the Apostle Paul is going to go. But is that that easy at times? To just lay aside our preferences and say, okay, no, in the name of the unity that we have in Christ, this is what I am going to do. I'm just going to lay aside my... No, it's totally difficult. You know what one of the most difficult things was for, at least for me in Papua New Guinea? Staying with that village and then watching the Lord build His church was in regards to music. Why? Because they did not worship and sing the way that I sing. And it was very, very difficult for me to, to just wrap my head and wrap my heart around the way that they would sing. They had the sing-songiness to their, to their music that I could never really grasp. And so as a result, I said, hey, you know what? You need to sing the way that I want to sing because this is all about me. And so I told them, hey, we're going to learn Jesus loves me first. And then after that, it doesn't matter if you don't know English. I know that I spent all this time learning your language, but now I'm going to teach you mine. Is that what I did? No. Why? Because I recognized something oh so significant that we were united in Christ and that the whole body, they, they, they wouldn't worship in English. They're going to worship in their heart language. They're going to worship in the way that they're going to worship. 
And so as we gather, it's, it's not just for a select group. But as we gather, it is for the entire group. And that means at times, we're going to have to lay aside our preference, just as I did in, in the jungles of Papua New Guinea for so many years. And do you know what the Lord does? What He does in your heart when, when you uphold the unity? He'll change your heart too. And over time, I, my heart, I was able to praise the Lord and sing along with the people in, in Papua New Guinea. But you know that Apostle Paul, he doesn't stop with just this idea that we are united in worship. He, he gives us another very significant key in understanding what worship should be centered upon, what the foundation of worship should be, and it is this, treasuring Christ in worship. We see this in, in verses 15 and in the, in the first half of 16. As Paul says this, let the peace of Christ richly dwell within you. Or, sorry, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell with you. What, what does that mean? He's giving us two commands. These aren't things that, that we can say no to. These aren't optional. And the first thing that he says is, let the peace of Christ rule in you. This is the word that, that we would get umpire from, from a baseball game. What, what is the job of an umpire? Well, as, as he makes decisions, he, it's always a contested situation. You don't usually call out an umpire for something that everybody knows or that's just totally uncontested. It, it, it's a, a tag out at the, at the plate, right? At home. And as, as one guy's diving in, what, what are the two teams saying? Well, the one team that just scored, they're like, oh, totally, he didn't touch them. And the other team, they're like, oh no, he's out. And so they just, that's how they arbitrate it. And whoever has the team with the guys that's the loudest, that's who gets the call. No, it's the umpire. The umpire makes the call. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. No, you let the peace of Christ rule as though it was an umpire in your life, in your heart. That is what is to be the, the deciding factor. How does this play itself out? Well, that plays itself out in the idea of our worship. And in particular, as he's going to get into in verse 16, in our singing. You let Christ's peace rule. And notice that it says in your heart. Does that mean that it stays in your heart? No, in, in, in verse 16, it, it then speaks about how we are to sing songs, right? Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That doesn't mean that, that it stays in your heart. As your heart overflows with thanksgiving, you are to sing and everyone is to hear that. In the same way, the peace of Christ is to rule in such a way that everybody can see that ruling. And that unity is cherished above all. And we need to let Christ do that as He has His way in our hearts. But how do you do this on a practical basis? How do you let this peace of Christ rule? How do you let the Word of Christ dwell? Which again is a command. He's saying, hey, my Word must live in you. It must reside in you. It must stay in you. How do you do that? Well, He tells us. And that's the very next thing that we see in verse 16. As He lets us know that we must be participating in worship. This is not something just between you and God. 
Look, look at what he says. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Did you notice that there's a two-way street here? On the one hand, yes, you are singing to God. It is vertical. But he doesn't stop there. He he says that, that in order for us to accurately worship Him and to truly worship Him, there has to be something going on between you and me. Between you and the person sitting next to you. And what is that? That's teaching and admonishing one another through the songs that we're singing. Do you understand what is going on in worship as we gather and we sing on Sundays? That as you sing, you are to be singing to those next to you. You are to be teaching them. That that is speaking of a positive presentation of Christian truth, Christian doctrine. You are not only to be teaching, giving the positive aspects, but you are to be admonishing those next to you as well. And, And that is more of a negative warning about straying from the truth. And all of this is is centered upon Christ so that we may have His Word dwell in us. That's significant. That lets us know that the songs that we sing matter. The words that we use in the songs that we sing matter. They should all be pointing to one person and that is Christ. And as we gather together and we have this opportunity to sing We sing to the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing in in order to praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Definitely. But there's more to it. We sing in order to tell others, those around you, true things about Jesus Christ. That is what we are doing. That, That is why we vet the songs. We just don't sing any song. Worship is not just about emotion. If that was the case, then you can listen to anything. And if it charged you up and riled you up, well, then that would be worship. And we would say, okay, well, then then I guess I'm worshiping on a Super Bowl because I'm getting all excited about my team winning. No, it's not just emotion. There is emotion involved. There should be joy. Notice how many times it says thankfulness within these verses. As we gather together to worship, our hearts should be overflowing with thankfulness. And that thankfulness should cause us to sing to one another about Him. To teach one another. And so we have that opportunity to do that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And so then what is your job? What is my job? As far as verse 16 says, as far as gathering together in this aspect of worship that would be related to singing, to, to teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What is your job? Your job is to sing out for the glory of the Lord. So that those around you are built up. And so that Christ is glorified. And, and I know some of the pushback on this. Oh, Pastor Jason, you've never heard my voice. Oh yeah, I saw that in there. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God as long as you can carry a really good tune. No. As long as your voice is, is just awesome. No, no, there's no condition. So, so the idea here is this is a corporate thing that we do together Sunday after Sunday. Man, what a challenge, but also what an encouragement to know that week after week, as you come, you come and you minister to me. 
as you sing to the Lord and as you sing to one another. That we have this opportunity to bless each other, to remind each other of the truth of Jesus, of all the wonderful true things about Jesus as we sing. Amen? Week after week. So that's why we do this. Look at verse 17, and let me close with this. Look at where he goes. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. I wonder if Paul is looking at, okay, the worship service and and the time of singing and the time of praise, singing to one another, singing to the Lord. That he's looking at as as a launch pad. And he's saying, okay, yes, when you gather, yes, you do that, but then you take it from that particular gathering and you take that with you to every day of the week to every aspect of your life. That whatever you do, you are doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, honoring Him and worshiping Him in all that you do. Yes, you can worship Him in your car, but we must gather together and worship Him together. Have you wondered why at the end of of each of our services that we try to end with a song? Has that ever crossed your mind before? When we were in Papua New Guinea, I had to think about all these things. Why would you end with a song? Do you know why? Because we don't want this time to just be a time of receiving. Taking, 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 taking. There there needs to be an opportunity, just as we heard what this definition was for worship, where we must respond. And so if I could have the worship team come up. The reason why we end our services with songs are so that we can respond to the Lord. That we can respond to one another. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree with what was preached, with what was shared from God's Word. And as a result, I am now going to join corporately with all of you. And I'm not just going to sing to the Lord. I'm going to sing to you. Okay, and if your voice is such that you know that if you sang as loud as you possibly could, that everybody's going to hold their ears. Okay, then just take it down a little bit. But can everyone stand up? We are going to close our time. Well, we're going to do offering too. So we're going to sing. And, and I'm not going to try to hold what you guys started with and, 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 and measure it to what I'm going to hear now. But I am excited to see what the Lord has taught us all in this text, in Colossians, that we have an opportunity now to sing to one another, to encourage one another, to teach and admonish one another through the singing that we get to do. So let's praise the Lord together, huh? Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. If you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www. Dot Rancho Baptist Church dot org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.